Hi everyone, we are Matt and Kevin, and welcome to the Believe in Overwatch League podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Please like, rate, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us on all social media at Believe in OWL, that's B-L-E-A-V in O-W-L, and Believe.com. This week, Blizzard Arena closes its doors for the last time, Zed announces that he will be performing at the Grand Finals, and we dive into Week 3 of the playoffs. Okay, let's go into let's go into playoffs mode now. Okay, playoffs mode. My docs. Okay, so if you're just tuning in to us, this is our playoffs segment of this week's episode. We've decided to we've decided to break up the news and the game analysis aspects to make it easier to digest in small but still delicious segments. Um. So yeah, let's jump into this. Week three, uh, the final week of the 2019 playoffs. Day one, we saw two games. The first one being the Spark versus the Rain. Yeah, so Hangzhou Spark and the Atlanta Rain, we, we've seen them faced off a couple of times throughout the season. In terms of the way how they play, it feels like the Spark are very strict in the way how they want to play. And then the Rain are kind of more freeform which is the exact reason why it caught the shock off guard and they were the ones who knocked the shock into the lower bracket. It's because of their flexibility as well. So it was definitely an interesting match uh, going into this lower bracket. The one that I wanted to highlight was map two, which was Numbani. Um, I think the one thing that I pointed out from this is just the way how Atlanta was a little too passive and this is actually the reason why they ended up losing this match. Um, I felt like while watching this entire match that the Atlanta Reign were giving up too much space. Something that was beat into me while I was in the college, like in the college scene, but also something that I've seen a lot of other teams like execute is you don't want to give up space for free. Like even if it's just like two meters, right? You would consider that like not even that much. But consider that what if those two meters helped you win overtime or helped you win later down the line? You don't want to give up that space. And especially on Numbani, we saw this happen when I believe the Spark push. Yes. Okay. So the Atlanta, they, they had an initial push and an initial hold spot when the Spark were attacking on Streets phase when you turned that first corner. Lots of teams get held up there. They committed Blizzard for the first corner. And they lost Erster in the fight, but they still had numbers. They won They won the fight. And then they decided to back up all the way to like the middle part of the map. And I get the hesitation. The hesitation is, okay, now we're fighting 5v6 uh, because they have a quicker spawn. They're going to be right next to us. They're going to come out at 6. And we have to wait on Erster to hop around on May all the way back to the front in order for us to do anything. So they thought, you know what, let's back up, let's f- fully regroup, and then we'll we'll hold later. But because of that 
they gave up free space. There was so much that they could have they could have stalled out a little bit so that Urser could get back. They were essentially giving up a fight. And when you give up a fight like that, you're burning precious time off your clock. And we see that happen on occasion with the rain. They'll back up and give up a lot of space in the process just to think that they could get a full regroup. It really does bite them later. We see the spark do this quite well is that they'll they'll roll with momentum once they get it. If you give them space, they'll take it. That's exactly what they did when they went into this fight uh, with the rain. They made the rain play so defensively that they just rolled through them. That's why uh, this ended up becoming a 4-0. I think my takeaway from the way that the rain played this match was that they're good at pushing points fast. They're good at that initial divey kind of attack on the point. They're good at overwhelming their opponents. When it came time for the spark to kind of regroup and understand how the rain were playing their game. They were able to figure out how the rain were rain were playing and they were able to set up a defense that the rain couldn't push past. The rain was good at starting the pushes, but they weren't good at completing. They weren't good at capitalizing on the momentum that they already had. I think another big thing that I saw this match was just the proof of how powerful the Bastion Baptiste combo is. You get the Baptiste in sentry mode, you throw the ant matrix, you put down the immortality field, and you can pretty much say goodbye to the other team. You're going to shred through any shields. You're going to take out all the squishies. Uh, the tanks don't have too much mobility either when you're running the agents of shield meta right now. So your tanks are going to fall. And unless you have a way to counter that, which I didn't really see too much countering that in this round, you're going to have to go back and regroup and try to stall them. And hopefully they aren't able to get those ults back again quickly. And that's what I was saying, like, uh, in terms of the whole, you know, Blizzard trying to rebalance things back to prior to goats. We have that rock, paper, scissors kind of matchup that we want to do. We know that, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is just really good right now because you can hold up a shield, be protected for a while. If it breaks, you have another one on a short cooldown. And you could just fill. But the way, the initial way on paper that you're supposed to break a bunker comp like that is to dive. And it's a lot harder to do that now. With the intense damage that comes out of your shields now and the shielding on both sides, yeah. Dive really hasn't been too successful, especially because, as you mentioned in the previous episode, when you dive, you leave your support and your squishy DPS really out in the open. And with the amount of damage that you can get from Sigma, Arisa, with the Doomfist and the Reaper, you really need to have the ability to shield all that damage from your squishies, otherwise you've just wasted a push. Yeah, and Sigma's kind of got the same role as D.Va anyways. He has the Absorption, which, you know, it's like a very close defense matrix. He's just overall, he just doesn't have the same amount of mobility as D.Va, but he has a lot more utility than D.Va, which is the reason why we see him a lot more being used. It's going to be interesting to see if D.Va ever gets the light of day ever again uh, because Sigma's got so much going on for him right now. But yeah, that wraps it up for the Spark and the Rain. Essentially, the Spark just 4-0'd them very, very quickly. And it's just because they, they kind of figured them out. They figured them out halfway through and then they just downloaded them and then played the game. Right. Uh, I think momentum was a huge factor going into a lot of these matches that we saw. It's just that the, the Spark were so much more efficient at understanding that momentum and regrouping and working as a team. The Rain just couldn't capitalize on the momentum that they had. Um, 
I mentioned this before, but the hugs are always so awkward. There was that really weird hug from Godsby after this match. The casters even kind of laughed about it because it was really, really weird. Blizzard, take note for next year. Please stop forcing the hug. It makes I think it's it makes some of the players kind of uncomfortable. They are just kind of, it seems like they're doing it just because they're on the spot and they don't want to make Blizzard angry. Um, like you've said before, Kevin, I really think it should be left up to the fan if they want to have a hug and i think also that the player should also have some say in that but for the host to be the one to kind of decide whether or not the hug comes through is not fun for anybody yeah and it just creates an awkward situation too you want to make the fan comfortable and you also want to make the player comfortable so if anything just know like for future for future reference blizzard just have a specific representative from each team and then take note of like what they will and will not feel comfortable doing. And then just allow the player or the, who's the, um, I mean, the, the lucky guest or whoever, whatever, whatever yeah, they call they're, them. They're right? super fan. The super fan. They're a super fan. So just let the super fan decide what they want from said player. So that way it's not super awkward on their part, but they, they know what they're going to get. It's just overall awkward. They just need to figure, figure out how to execute that handoff a little bit cleaner it's all it's also really weird how they have to kind of wait because they say can i get the jersey and there's that huge like what four second gap where someone's still trying to get them the jersey it's i think they could do a lot better in streamlining the whole post interview greet the fan process to make it enjoyable for the fan the players and us viewing at home but yeah and i guess that i don't even know if that's going to become a thing anymore after this uh it's final because it would be interesting to see if they try to execute that during the homestands, but maybe it is just a final right. uh, thing that's going on right now. What if there's no fan from that team at the homestand? What if Ooh. there's not even one person who likes that team? Ooh, that's a that's a oof who decided right to come out. Just like because I mean that's that's another thing with Blizzard Arena going away. If you didn't know about Blizzard Arena going away, listen to our news recap episode. But yeah, with with the stadiums being so spread out, like there's no guarantee that someone from each team is going to be able to come out and represent. With Blizzard Arena, it was all central. So if you wanted to see that team, you didn't have the option of going to another stadium or waiting till it comes closer to you. You had to go to Blizzard Arena. So... (laughs) Yeah, Oof, if there's no super fan, what do they do with the jersey? Uh, they just put it in their pockets and they just put it back in the store or something. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> that's super weird. Like, yeah, thinking about the homestands and if they're going to be giving away a jersey. Well, yeah, if the other team that's not the home team comes out ahead, like, who do they give the jersey to? Like, is it still a shock super? Like, let's say, let's say if it is like the SF one and the shock lose, right? Does... An SF Shock fan get a jersey of the other team that just beat them? Is that is that a thing? Or like it, it's just weird. You immediately see that jersey's gonna go up on like Amazon or eBay or something. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just a weird thing as well. And that will that will be a problem once we get to the homestands, but we'll see if that ever does play into it. But yeah, take note, Blizzard, if you're gonna if you're going to implement something like this again, try to figure out how to make it less awkward for not only the players on stage, but also everybody else who's watching it. 
Okay, let's move on to the second match of the day, the Gladiators versus the Shock. So, yeah, we had the Gladiators and the Shock going at it again. Another battle the for two LA. California teams. Or, yeah, battle for California. It's the opposite of what the Cali Cup was. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, we saw a lot of memes coming out from the San Francisco Shock specifically uh, after this match. And I, I thought were hilarious, but um, one of them was like, have you seen the one with like uh, Plankton and SpongeBob where he's trying to teach uh, SpongeBob how to be a little bit more mean, like be a little right, more assertive. Right. He wants him to be more assertive. Yeah. And he's like, tell him that's yours. And it's the, the gladiators pointing to the state of California and the, the shack, the shock currently have it. And they're like, that's my state. And he's like, all right, let him have it. And he's like, you can have it. That's exactly what happened today. Um, it, it was, <laughs> you never have to ask me whether I understand SpongeBob references. I have friendships entirely based on the ability to understand obscure SpongeBob. You never have to ask me whether I understand SpongeBob for the future. But yeah, I know it all. It was a quality meme. And I was like, yep, this is exactly what happened today. Uh the the gladiators let the shock be the California representative now. But yeah, the I think there was only a couple of maps that I wanted to highlight. Um, especially in this matchup. It was the initial one, the Busan um start, where we saw Sinatra swap to Sombra. And I wanted to point out specifically why Sombra is still good. It's just not currently picked a lot. And why is that? Well, Sombra works against the reaper doomfist because of the the ability to hack and not allowing doomfist or reaper to leave the reason why reaper and doomfist are being picked is because they do have an escape mechanism they have abilities that allow them to get in and out and do massive damage so if you take out their their ability to leave they just kind of become a sitting duck and i'm glad that we got to see that flexibility come out from the shock pointing out that the sombra pick makes it a lot harder for you guys to run Reaper and Doomfist. It's also for, not necessarily in this match, but it's also one of the few counters that really exists for when you have a Bastion strat that a lot of the team started running, especially this week. Yeah, this Bastion in general is just able to shred shields from a distance, and a good EMP can shut down all barriers and the fact that Bastion has to sit in that sentry mode too. So it makes it a lot easier to just open up a fight that way. But it's it would be really interesting to see if teams decide to start running more dive comps to complement Asombra. It's kind of this old school way of how dive used to be. So we'll see if that does come into play, especially next season or you know later down the line when we have uh, World Cup. If World Cup, if any patch changes... Uh, come out and shake the meta up a little bit. I think the next map, well, the yeah, the next map that we were going to talk about is map four, which was Rialto. The Shock only gave up one kill to the Gladiators during their initial push. Only one person died that entire time. That was just from a concussion rocket pushing Choi Hyobin off of the bridge into the water. Like, they didn't actually get any damage kills. They got one environmental kill. And nothing else. And if anything, since it was already map four, it's showing that momentum does play into these kind of matches. Like the shock went up 3-0 and we're feeling 
Like, you know, they can they can continue their momentum going into this. And they took full advantage, especially in Rialto. Another thing that I wanted to point out um, in terms of the shock in general, and later on, the analysts actually built a graphic off of it later, but the flexibility of the San Francisco shock. We got, we got to see, in terms of their DPS line, they have so many, like, different players that can play different things. So, for example, like, Sinatra is known for his Doomfist right now, but he's also great on Tracer. We saw his Sombra today, and we see it on day four. We usually see Rascal, well, for the most part, earlier we saw him on Baptiste, but he's also been on McCree, and he's also on Farah, and also on May. So that gives them that option to run that. You've seen Architect on Bastion, but he's also good on Widowmaker and McCree. Like, just the ability for this team to pick whatever DPS line they want and still be competent gives them so much flexibility that I believe the only other way to really deal with it is to have a team that's equally as flexible, that's able to switch around their compositions. But it's hard to... It's hard to do that considering that most teams are built are are building to have specialists on their team rather than having flexible players on their team. Right, most of what we've seen is just different variations to the current meta. Mostly for the for the DPS lines, you'll see either a Reaper Doomfist, a Symmetra and a Bastion or a Bastion and a May. Whereas you see with the Shock in a lot of their games, they're pulling out heroes that no one else is done. They will pull out a tracer, and then the other team will have to go tracer to respond. Or you'll see you've, we saw Sinatra's Sombra. But yeah, the main threat is the fact that they are willing to be flexible and play whatever they need to do in order to win the map. And especially with this roll lock, it it does force a lot more variety in terms of like seeing actual DPS characters being picked. But also it opens itself up to have a lot more variety. We, we've seen the Atlanta Rain pull out Genji as well, and I'm glad that we get to see that. All right, I think that just about wraps it up for day one. I think we're ready to move on to day two. The rest of the three days of this last week of the playoffs were all one-game days. With the exception of day two, they were also 4-0 sweeps every time. Day two being the last round of the upper bracket, the New York Excelsior faced the Vancouver Titans. So both of these are Korean powerhouses, as we both know already. The Titans are known for being like hyper-aggressive and pushing in and doing what they need to do. Uh, meanwhile, New York is kind of their old-school style, but they're very they're still very effective. They use Libro and Sabiolbe to get in and do what needs to be done. But this is pretty much like one of the original teams, one of the original powerhouses coming in. Um, versus the current powerhouse, which is the Titans. I think it definitely, it definitely speaks to the power of the New York XL that they were able to defy all the expectations that they would have choked by now and they wouldn't have made it this far, and that they were able to push it to a map seven against one of the most dominant teams in the league right now, which are the Titans, who have shown that as well that they're not just a goats meta team they were able to take the 2-2-2 roll lock in stride and show that even though they're an expansion team they very much can own the league if all goes well for them in two weeks the one thing that i wanted to point out we saw it in the first map specifically 
Um, TZ Hawksall and Solomon Sue from the Titans are very much in sync. Um, that is the play where you see TZ going for the uh, the halt, and then Hawksall just drops um, the meteor strike immediately on top of the New York Excelsior and kills three. It's very clean. The execution of this team, they know exactly what they want to do, and they do it very well. Um, not saying that New York Excelsior look sloppy because they're not They're They also played very clean. It's just that when it came down to certain plays, especially with the halt into Doomfist combos and stuff like that, um, the Titans look like they've been really practicing and honing in on that. Another thing that they did on this map that I really liked from the New York Excelsior, though, this shows that they had a, a little bit of life still in them. Um, Libero on the Doomfist, we got to see him go all the way into the back line and pick off both Twilight and Slime when they were on their support line. And if anything, teams could take note from that play by Libero specifically, um, saying that, you know, if you want to take the fight up front, you're going to be running into the two shields and the two, and the two DPS that are going to be back there. If you somehow find a flank route onto their back line and you pick off whoever is necessary, you are going to win the fight. So it's going to be interesting to see that come into play. And, uh, if it does um, come into play coming into the grand finals. I sat down through all of these matches, by the way. I, I <laughs> All seven of these games were insane. The Titans weren't able to really dominate. Yeah, and I feel like the New York Excelsior really did give them a run for their money this time. Another thing to point out is that the score by map three was 2-1 in favor of the New York Excelsior. In terms of map speed... There are some maps where you can play it a lot slower versus ones where you need to play aggressively in order to actually get progress. The slower maps tend to go in favor of the New York Excelsior because they can take their time and figure out how to get in and you know, how to slow up the other team. And it's also the way how the game was played prior to GOATS and prior to literally Season 2. Like Season 2 was the beginning of like a super hyper-aggressive style, but... You know, sometimes hyperaggression is just the way to go, and that's what the Titans are good at. They're good at just pushing straight through the New York Excelsior and not giving them any space. Both of these teams were the top of their divisions for a reason. It wasn't that, you know, oh, they got lucky or whatever. There's a reason why this is the winner's brackets finals and why they're very strong and very good at what they wanted to do. In terms of, like, takeaways from this, it's that the New York Excelsior is definitely going against history. They didn't choke away their their thing here they went down four three which means that you know we were playing a long day of overwatch these guys were playing at the best of the best it could very easily have gone the other way where the nyxl took map seven mm -hmm. and if new york excelsior did take map seven then would have been an interesting losers bracket finals Ooh, yeah completely different day four but before we hop into day four, we got to talk about day three. So that's right. That's how math works. <laughs> yeah, uh, numbers. But yeah, uh, day three is the spark versus the shock. Uh, lots of people get these two mixed up just because they have a lot of the letters. Like the only difference between these two teams really are the middle three letters. Yep. And sparks <laughs> can shock you. So. Yeah. And shocks can spark a fire. And then there's also the the shark, the San Jose Sharks, uh, which is S H. You know, it's a mix of both of their teams. 
and then there's the Spock if you do it the other way. So live long and prosper. Both of these teams could get you know tongue tied. Um, but in terms of the matchup for day three, the Shock have won every engagement in the regular season against the Spark. I had that going into this match, and and also in the ever since they dropped to the lower bracket, the Shock did not lose a single game. Ever since dropping down, they were going perfectly. Even though they they went down to lower bracket, they're like, okay, you know what? We messed up once. We're not going to let it happen again. When they they've done that to every single team that they faced so far, so. I think for me, my big map was just map one, which was Busan. Sanctuary was the first map that we saw them play. It started out with the Spark giving a very good dominant first take. The, the Spark were able to hold the point until 99 and were able to almost immediately flip it right after the Shock took it back. I think that this map, the Spark showed that they were able to really pace out their ultimates. They were able to get value on their kills, they were able to deny a lot of what the Shock were hoping to do. And that's what allowed them to finally get that first point. But as soon as you go to the other two maps, that's when the Shock demonstrated that they were not playing around. I think City Center especially really showed the Shock were really determined not to give any progress at all. This was the map where the Shock were able to take the point uh, and the Spark were trying as best as they could to flip it. And even though the Shock were down several players they were able to come into the point and just stall out stall out stall out until they had enough manpower there to push the spark back and not let them really get any progress until they got a flip at 99 and at that point since they had so much more progress against the spark it was just a waiting game for the shock until they had the ult advantage they could drop in and take the point whenever they really wanted to i think another really big moment <laughs> that I really liked was when on Mecha Base, which was the last point on Busan. So there was a moment where the Shock were trying to push in and there's casters are like, I don't know if they have enough to be able to push this. But then you see Smurf come in with the halt, pulling three people in, and then Sinatra just pounds right down and kills three, then does an immediate kill for four and they flip the point there. And that it just shows how connected they are as a team and just how scrappy they're willing to be with their their play style this is also something that uh we bring up quite a bit in terms of overwatch casting and casting in general um is a thing that is called caster's curse um essentially you say something and you praise a team really hard and when you do that the complete opposite happens so for in this case they were like Oh yeah, the spark have it. There's no way that the that the shock are gonna be able to come back. And then the shock do something amazing. And then you're like, okay, I just ate my own words. That's just <laughs> it tends to happen quite. It it happens a lot more often than you really think it would, but it it happens quite a bit. Um, it's called the caster's curse. So if anybody wants to throw that out during anyone's cast, you can definitely quote quote me. The opposite does happen, but very rarely. The caster's blessing where they'll say like, oh, this is a perfect map. They'll do it. Um, but at that point, it's just like good analytics. Nobody ever chalks it up to the casters. The casters are just reading what they see. I mean, they've seen how many games and they know how it flows. So I guess whenever those things happen, it's just 
it just happens to be good planning, good luck, and good execution on the team that flips what they say on its head. Yeah, and this was, as we all know already by now, uh, it was a 4-0 sweep um, by the shock. And once again, I do think it does come down to that flexibility, the, the ability to switch up their play style, put in different players when they want to. Pretty much, they're not textbook, which is what I love about them. Um, the spark, the way how they play is very textbook. It's just like, you know, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and it's going to work. Um, but the Shock are like, you know what? They're going to think that we're going to do this, so we're going to do something completely opposite so that they don't know what, what to do against this. So um, I'm glad that the Shock are being a little bit more flexible with their with their work. And we do get to see it coming in um, during, like, map four where they will swap... Uh, Rascal and Architect for Stryker and Sinatra. Sometimes they'll put in during, we saw it during last week uh, against the, I think it was a charge, uh, against a charge where they swapped out like four players um, during the map four, which was like a super big flex. flex the big flex. But it was weird. Like, you don't usually get to see something like that. But um, yeah, they put in Super and Nevix and architect and rascal into that one and we were like okay this is weird but you know it's something that they wanted to do um and it worked so okay moving on to the final match of the week the new york excelsior versus the san francisco shock so yeah the the shock came in after the win off the spark the new york excelsior coming in after the loss to the titans and once again, these, these maps are not like the final score is nothing to scoff at. Um, just because the shock like four owed them doesn't mean that these games weren't close. I mean, Anubis went to went for three different rounds of attacking each. Yeah, it, we can't just like discount any of this whatsoever. These guys are playing insane levels of Overwatch, and especially on Anubis, if we want to just hop to map three. Both of these teams are playing to the best of their own abilities. They they know exactly how they want to attack and how to defend, but um, we saw it go back and forth between these two teams for a long time. Like, literally, what, six, six rounds? Yeah. Yeah, three pushes each team. The, the real takeaway from that map specifically was, like, if you don't have an answer for Sinatra's Doomfist, you're going to get shut down pretty quickly. <laughs> Uh, if you're not having your own Doomfist, either like crash into him and then focus him down, or Sigma's rock prioritization should be on Doomfist, um, you are going to get rolled over by Sinatra. Um, he's very scary on on Doomfist, and there's a reason why he's the MVP. He's He plays his heroes very effectively, and even during GOAT's format, when he was on Zarya, he's was able to track your opponents down and just do a ton of damage. And a lot of the time, the the biggest points where New York were able to get their, the most progress on the point is when they were able to finally focus down Sinatra. Just <laughs> just further proves how essential he was to the team's success on this map. He just creates space. He creates space for his other DPS and the rest of his team to do anything. So if you somehow focus him down and make sure that he's gonna he's not gonna be a factor in the match. Uh, a lot of teams will be glad to take advantage of that. Um, it's not something that's easy to do. Um, 
but it's something that you need to prioritize, especially when you're going to be facing the shock. And his ability to go for the back line and come in from odd angles during an especially important push, that's really key for the shock to be able to break that push because you have to, when you're pushing, you have to focus forward. But when you have Sinatra coming in from every which way, you have to split up your attention because if you don't take him down, then your push is done. But if you don't focus forward, that leaves the rest of the shock to just tear down your shields and take away your squishies and your tanks. So it's just just not a good scenario for whoever's facing Sinatra's team. Yeah, I wonder, honestly, with the with the amount of Reaper and Doomfist being able to like get into your backline and stuff, if we're going to be able to see Brigida ever play again, she has a built-in stun that can crash with Doomfist. She has a displace with the whip shot, but um, it'd be interesting if we do see Brig played at this point in time because it doesn't really counter Sigma's ultimate in terms of the, the drop, um, but it does give Inspire healing. She has Inspire healing, but that's only when she's doing damage, and I don't know if you really want her like deep in the thick of it with this meta. It's hard to get in now. Yeah, and, and the fact that she only gets half her healing to herself now it makes her less tanky so hopefully with the change like we heard blizzard say that they might want to start rolling back some of the nerfs that they gave or some of the buffs and nerfs that were given during goats format i wonder if brig will come back to her full strength of the original brig um or if you know they are going to keep her at this at this point to see if she doesn't survive as much Completely off topic, but you know what? I really wish they would roll back. I really miss the Reaper soul orbs. I want those back. You'd rather have soul fun. orbs than lifesteal? I think it, it made the Reaper have to work more for to get that healing because you had to go and get it. And it was always more of a consistent healing as opposed to whatever damage you did at the time. The lifesteal change, really powerful right now. But also I just miss seeing the little orbs floating everywhere. <laughs> I wonder if Blizzard will ever do like a full Overwatch one, like WoW Classic kind of thing, where they'll yeah. just be like, you know what, screw it, we're just bringing back five man res. Bastion's got a shield again, uh, Reaper orbs, like just all those weird things that were completely patched out of the game. Uh, just bring them back. Just bring, honestly, like five man res, like weird, like glitch hops. Oh animation canceling with reinhardt oh, just like no. a whole bunch of just like weird things so that players who are now playing can realize how weird it was when overwatch was initially coming to fruition hog being able to hook you through walls oh yeah the the around the around the corner hooks there you go time to bring back that juice hog yeah hook 1.0 where it would go around the wall and it would hook the wrong target when there's three of them in the same spot. It's just like, eh, who's the unfortunate person here? That that was insane. The one-shot hog when he was able to one-shot 200. Imagine him in this meta. The, the one-shot hog? Yeah. I think it would be very effective still. This is the way how you could erase any anybody who you catch with hook. And especially with halt hook being a thing. You could catch out a lot of people. Pulled pork. Yep. Or yoink oink or... Yeah, there's a lot of terms out there for this. The hold hook, uh, pulled pork, yoink oink. I've heard there's one for Hammond Sigma. If it ever comes out, it's gonna be rock and roll hands down. Can't fight me. 
on that. Uh, but yeah, that there's nothing else you can call it. Exactly. Yeah. Another thing that I wanted to point out back to the back to the topic of the New York Excelsior and the shock here. Shock end up winning 4-0 against the New York Excelsior. In an interview later on, they asked the New York Excelsior players being the only team that really got to see the playoffs uh, version of both the Titans and the Shock. Uh, who who do they have uh, coming out on top? A lot of them said that they think that the Titans get better as the series goes on. And now that they have a lot of tape to go over, they might even be coming in like even stronger at the initial start. There were a couple of them. I think Sabiobe was one of them who said the shocks just have a little bit more flexibility and that might throw off the the Titans and the way how they want to play. It's going to be interesting to see if flexibility of the San Francisco shock really does mess with the Titans. I like in the postgame interview, Sinatra said with confidence, oh yeah, we're going to 4 uh, the Titans just like every <laughs> other team. And... That's something that, like, you know, he comes in and he's got, like, this amount of confidence. Obviously, the Titans aren't going to let that happen. We've seen the beef between these guys. They were both the Season 1 and Season 2 Finals rematch. So, you could technically call this, like, the the final season, like, you know. The three-peat. The three-peat. we got to go for the full series, and this is it right here. Whoever comes out on top in Philly is going to be like, hey, you know what? You You guys may have won whatever season but whoever comes out on top now is pretty much the the team of the overwatch league 2019 and for good reason if the shock do 4-0 or get even close to the 4-0 that they're planning on that kind of negates the whole the titans get better the longer the match goes on um and and you did bring up a good point is that no matter how well the titans prepare are they going to be able to prepare for the shock pulling out weird spur of the moment creative hero picks to counter whatever the Titans are throwing at them? Yeah, it's just a matter of time before we see like Junkrat, Soldier Seventy. I want to see Junkrat again. <laughs> just I some, miss like, Junkrat. Ridiculously weird picks. We'll just see like dive with like a Junkrat and a Symmetra or something like that. You, you, like. And not just like turret Symmetra, they're gonna just use it for the teleporter. Like <laughs> some weird stuff is about to come down and, and I feel it coming in the air. Um another one that we're gonna have to look out for, especially since it's gonna be the Titans versus the Shock, is the Hoxall Sinatra matchup on Doomfist. Um Hoxall being, you know, rookie of the year, he won rookie of the year, but he's also scary on Doomfist, and then Sinatra winning MVP. Predictions, Kevin. I'm not biased. <laughs> but <laughs> I really do think that if the match goes further than game five, the Titans will have a significant advantage. Now, this is coming from a Shock fan, okay? They will start picking up on things, and they're very good at picking up on that. So if the Shock... I would say if the Shock go up 3-1... In the series, they're going to win it. But if it's still 2-2 by get, by map 5, the, the Titans will take it. So essentially I'm saying if the Shock have a great start and don't allow the Titans to do what they want to do, the Shock will win. But the longer the game goes, the Titans will pick up on things and they will win. So if the match ends in 4-5, and five, 
it's going to go to the Shock. If it ends 5-6, it's going to be the Titans. What about you, Matt? Any predictions in terms of this? I don't think that the Shock are going to be able to 4-0 like they want to. I'd like to see the Shock win just because California Pride. You'd also be down to see them get smacked because they knocked out the Gladiators. Oh, absolutely. They they destroyed LA, so you take out LA, we take you get taken out too. Um yeah, I agree with everything you said. It's that if you if they can I don't think they'll get the 4-0, but if I think they can get if they can get at least a two map head start, I think they have a better chance of taking this. If they're just trading rounds with the Titans, I think that the Titans will be able to outlast them. But I think if they get to that round seven, then I think the Titans' longevity and showing that they're able to understand their teams and learn the best strategy to deal with them at the moment will allow them to take the map and finish the series out and the season out with them on top. So it's it's a momentum thing. Again, as we've been saying this entire podcast, if they can get the momentum, I think the shock will take it. If it's scrappy trading blows i think that the resilience of the titans will be able to outlast whatever creativity that the shock throw at them another thing that i want to point out in terms of the flexibility of the shock is that player fatigue could be playing into this coming later into the game as well so the shock are able to substitute out like rascal striker architect and sinatra at will they could essentially just figure out like who they want to put in. There's not a lot of substitutions for uh for the Titans. Like maybe TZ for bumper every once in a while, but their main lineup is pretty much what they already set out to do. They they have proven that, you know, they can play seven maps um and do all that stuff, but if it does come down to flexibility and player fatigue, um I we'll, we'll see if that does play into this grand final specifically because you know when you're on stage there's a lot of pressure it takes a lot of mental concentration in order to get what you want out of it think about playing seven maps for you know a million dollars in your name to officially be like the champions of overwatch league you have a lot of pressure there um but you know these guys are used to pressure so it'll be a lot of interesting ideas coming into this and so i think for this entire playoff series the Titans have been demonstrating their ability to go the distance. And like you said, the shock have been demonstrating that they have tricks they can pull out at any second. They have subs that are not just kind of bench warmers. They will pull them out. They can perform to a winning level. Whereas we really haven't seen the Titans switch off anything. So in, in both cases, I guess, I guess you could have looked. You can look at this um, playoff series as training for this map, this last match. The Titans are training to play those seven rounds and win, and the Shock are training to be able to swap out whoever they need to when they need to, and use creative strategy to get the point and build that momentum. So yeah, I think that's uh, that's about it. Yeah, next week we'll be hopefully sitting down with the mascot for the LA Gladiators, Gladius, the hype man, who, I, as far as I know, built his own complete cosplay for the LA Gladiators. So if you have any questions or any things you'd like us to ask him, please 
send shoot us a line, send us a message, send a smoke signal, however you want to do it. Carrier and uh, carrier pigeon. Ooh, I'd love to get a carrier pigeon. You don't see those anymore. Yeah, not not too often these days. Last time I saw a carrier pigeon was in a battlefield. Yeah, that one carrier pigeon episode. Yep, Spider-Man PS4 when you had to go and catch oh, all right. 12 of them. That's right, I love that game. I have stream clips of me missing the last pigeon like eight times. That's how bad it was. Like, I have 11 of 12 of them. This is one, one pigeon. Took me forever. Damn, fetch quests. Yep. Alright, well thank you for tuning in and we will see you next week. listening to this week's episode like what you hear please like rate and subscribe to us on itunes spotify google play stitcher luminary and tune in and follow us on all social media at believe in owl that's b-l-e-a-v in owl if you have any comments or questions feel free to send us an email at believe in owl at gmail.com interested in advertising with the show please contact our network at Believe.com. Thanks for tuning in and see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.